We're continuing on in our series, Life with God. And uh, that told the story uh, of God kind of delivering the nation of Israel. And we know that they were in Egypt for 400 years. And so it was a completely different area, a completely different structure that they were living under. And so when God delivered them, he had to kind of lay out what it meant to live holy what it meant to relate to him, what it meant to have a life with God. And so that's Leviticus. And that's why it's so absolutely detailed. We talked about it's it's the ABC book to holiness. And that's why as you read through sometimes, you're like, why are there all these details in here? That's what God was laying out because God is holy. And holiness really is just that cut above. God is a cut above and he is asking us to live a cut above with our time and with our talents and with our resources to be holy. And so we're exploring that question, how do I live life with God? And so this morning we're going to jump into Leviticus again and just look at another way that God has showed us about being holy. Before we do so though, I want to open with a word of prayer. God, we come before you and, and we thank you for your word and all of your word And we know that it is truth. It is from you. And so I pray that you would teach us this morning from Leviticus. And I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to hear from you specifically. Spirit, move in this place. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. I want you to think about for just a minute before we jump in. Things that used to be used that are no longer used. And maybe some of these you have and some of these you haven't, but, but things that are kind of maybe have outlived their usefulness. Um, for instance, if you ask somebody under 25 years old, what time is it, what are they going to do? They're gonna pull out their cell phone, right? Because they don't wear watches. It's just one of those things. And maybe that is fading, right? When's the last time you've pulled out a paper map and just like unfolded this whole thing and then looked for directions to get somewhere? Probably not, right? Google or a phone book. You know, we have all that other information. I have some pictures I want to show you. What about uh, this here? The chariot has probably outlived its usefulness. It would be really cool to show up at work or school in a chariot, but that just isn't the way it is, right? Um, The same with kind of the horse and buggy. I can remember my grandfather saying what a joy it was when he got to actually ride it when he wasn't walking to school in the snow 10 miles uphill both ways. Whatever, however your grandparents told you that story. Um, This is a vacuum cleaner that you had to pump to get suction. So it's like the workout. It's like the Zumba vacuum cleaner and uh, that would be awesome. And uh, this is a washboard, right? We don't wash our clothes on that. I mean, probably the only time people use that is if they're in some kind of bluegrass band or something. Um, How about handwritten letters? Just when's the last time you got a handwritten letter? Maybe that's outlived. It shouldn't, but it is. Uh, That's just selfish right there. How do you remember, I don't know if you remember as a child, I do, going to an arcade just full of really old school games uh, back when you could actually control it because it was just a joystick and you would just pump quarters into these things for like three hours until you got a blister. Uh, but now you have better video games on your phone. Um, Rolodex, right? We don't keep all of our information on this thing that we spin on our desk anymore. Pagers, anybody in here have a pager? Because you were really important. <laughs> That's just so, you know, like, because you were so important that you needed to know if somebody was beeping in. Uh, I just wanted you to see that phones used to have cords. Uh, crazy, I know. Um, what else do we have? 
That's right. The mullet probably has outlived its usefulness and is scary. Um, how, about, how about the typewriter? I mean, think about the typewriter for a minute. I mean, yes, very valuable. Uh, we're not writing anymore. We can, people can start having letters on the typewriter, and it's advancing. Uh, this a tremendous leap in technology because it did all the same things that the other one did. You just got to plug this one in. Um, and then we went so far into the future uh, for this very early computer that doesn't look pretty, but it can draw wavy lines. That's cool. And then uh, we advanced to the computer toaster uh, <laughs> that I, I don't know, I didn't ever use one of those, but uh, this, honestly, I remember in college spending a ridiculous amount of time programming computers. We took classes for semesters so that you could have your computer draw a circle on the screen, which is kind of useless, and I don't know why we learned all that. But, you know, it's just kind of one leads way to the other. And, and if you had the typewriter and somebody who used a typewriter and then you handed them an iPad, they would be blown away. But the typewriter still has an influence on the iPad because it's still the same keyboard. We still use that same keyboard. And so one technology built on another and the typewriter was kind of pointing into the future. Now, this morning we're gonna talk about the offerings. We're gonna talk about the animal sacrifice system that God put in place. And he put it in place to kind of deal with the issue of sin, but he put it in place also to further relationship, to deepen relationships. And this is one of those things. Animal sacrifices are a thing of the past. I mean, we don't do animal sacrifices anymore. Or at least you shouldn't do animal sacrifices anymore, right? And, and so you might think, well, why would we go to Leviticus to study about animal sacrifices when it's a thing of the past? Well, it's a thing of the past, but God put it in place to point to something into the future. To point to the one perfect spotless sacrifice that was going to come to point to Jesus who would be the final sacrifice, the only sacrifice that we would ever need. To point to something that was just so far above and beyond anything else we could have imagined. And so as we talk through the sacrificial system this morning, and actually as we take communion this morning and we have that opportunity, I want you to think about what this means and what this was pointing to. You see, God longs to have relationship with us. And last week, Steve talked about the tabernacle and how God said, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will live among you. But how do we relate to God? I mean, how do we relate to a God who is spirit, a God who doesn't have skin? How do we relate to a God who is just wholly other, who is just so different than who we are and so far above who we are. There will never be anybody further away from who you are than God. But on the other side of that, there will never be anybody closer to you than God. And so how do we relate to a God like that? Well, he put in this system, right? Leviticus, Chapters one to seven, he puts in this sacrificial system. If you wanna grab your Bibles, we're gonna just spend some time in those chapters. We're not gonna read through all of them, but uh, we're gonna spend some time. If you wanna grab a Bible in the pew there, it's page 162. And so right from the outset, from the very beginning, we see this system that God has put into place to deal with sin, to have a relationship. It's the animal sacrifice system. And you can get hung up there. 
You can look at this and you can just be like, whoa, that, the idea is foreign to me. As a matter of fact, the idea is repulsive to me. I, I don't really like to think about that part of scripture. But that's us putting our worldview and what we know now into this context, and, and we can't do that because they would have been very used to this idea. This would not be a new concept to them. God was giving them some new detail, but Genesis chapter eight, Noah comes off the ark and he offers a burnt offering to God. Genesis chapter 22, we have Abraham and Isaac, and there's a sacrifice that's going to happen. So this would not be a foreign idea. This would be something that they were used to. And so for us, I think we approach it with that, that this is something that God has put into place. And so we need to believe in the authority of God. We need to understand the sovereignty of God, that God put this system into place. And whether we recoil from it or not, we trust him. It's like, if you're a parent and your children come to you and ask you questions all the time, all day, and when they get to the 800th question that hour, you start saying this certain response. You say things like, because I said so, because I'm your parent. I mean, I think, honestly, this is one of those things. You've got meaning behind it as a parent. You just don't have time to explain it all. And this is one of those things, I think, too, that, that God has tremendous meaning behind this system. There's tremendous depth to it, but we also come to it understanding that this is the system that God had in place for this time, that it was pointing forward. So if we come to this kind of full of ourselves, we'll probably walk away empty. But if we come to this humble and hungry, and God, what do you have in this system? We'll probably walk away full. And so we wanna approach it that way, that these offerings were about interaction and relationship and bridging the gap and dealing with sin. And as people would offer something to God, we see that God would offer something to them as well. And so we're gonna take a look at these. There are five offerings, five animal sacrifices that we're gonna talk about this morning, and it's great because each one kind of has a unique and different perspective. Not one captures the character of God. It's kind of all of these. Now, I have to be honest, I'm a visual learner. And I think sometimes the best way to learn about any practice is to participate in it or to watch it being done. So I have some goats that we're gonna, I don't have goats. But I have to be honest with you, this week I was like, how can I do this? How can I get goats on stage without them soiling everything? And I couldn't, so we're gonna trust the text today. I don't have any visuals or videos or anything along those lines, so you don't have to be queasy or kind of creeped out. We're not gonna sacrifice anything on stage. Um, all right, so we have that out of the way, no goats. Uh, but before we jump into these, to these five, I just wanna let you know that there are, in each one of these, kind of specific instructions that kind of run through all of them. Four of these sacrifices are animal sacrifices, and one of them is a grain offering. But there's certain things that kind of run through most of these, and I wanna let you know on the front end. The first thing that ran through all five of these was that God was asking for something without defect. When they were to make an offering to God, he was asking for the best because it would cost something. God was asking for something that was valuable. He was saying, I don't want you to bring the goat that has like two weeks left to live and it can hardly walk and it's gonna die because that's useless to you. 
It's gotta cost something, so bring something without defect. There's also a faith aspect in this. When I'm bringing God my best, I have to trust God that he's gonna take care of me because you know, just as this animal comes to this stage where it's kind of self-sustaining and I'm gonna actually get something back from this animal, I sacrifice it. Or how can I continue to build my herd or flock when I keep taking the best and the strongest and sacrificing it? Okay, God, I will trust you with that. God requires the best. He requires our best. And so that's the first thing that runs through all of them. The second thing in, in all but the grain offering, we'll find that there's kind of a laying on of hands. When you bring the animal, there's this tra- transition, this, this part of the sacrifice where you lay hands on this animal and it serves as this substitute. We also see in these the importance of blood. Leviticus 17 verse 11 says, for the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. It's the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. And so there are all of these things, those are the things that run through. And there's, there's a lot of other detail. If you go through and you read it, and maybe you're a butcher and you're like, wow, that's fascinating. But, but for most of us, we're like, wow, I, just, I don't really understand that. But there's some specific things that run through all of those. So we want to get to these five. The first three of the offerings are voluntary offerings. Right? These are not mandatory. These are voluntary things. God says, when you want to express this in relationship to me, you can do this. And the first one is the burnt offering. And you would take a male uh, from your flock or from your herd or a bird with no defects, and you would come and you would offer it at the temple. In verse four, it says, you would lay your hand on the animal's head. This is Leviticus one, verse four. And the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. So this is to purify you, making you right with him. You would lay your hand on the head of this animal that was going to be sacrificed, and it would die in your place. And we see this in Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac. They went to make sacrifice. Isaac was to be the sacrifice. God was testing his obedience. And when Abraham was about to do it, he got stopped, and there was a ram caught by its horns. And so that became the sacrifice, and the ram died in place of Isaac, right? And so when you would come and you would offer this burnt offering, you would have this understanding in mind as you laid your hand on it. This is dying in my place to make my relationship right. And burnt offerings were the most common offering that would happen. They were for multiple things. If you wanted to repent, you could use a burnt offering. If you were in deep sorrow or distress, you could do the burnt offering. If you were joyfully celebrating, you could come with the burnt offering. It's just kind of for all things. It was in this relational peace with God, it was saying, okay, God, it's about you, it's not about me. Bigger God, smaller me. If you had something to say to God, you could do it through this burnt offering. Verse nine tells us, the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so the point of this offering, what this offering is getting at, is the, the entire thing would be consumed. This offering 
is about total sacrifice. You took it. You didn't get anything in return. You took it to offer to God. So this offering is about complete surrender. It's about total sacrifice. That's what the burnt offering was. The next one is the grain offering, and it's the one that differs from all of the other ones, just slightly, because this is, uh, there's no animals involved. It's like the vegetarian offering. Um, In Leviticus chapter two, verse one, when you present grain as an offering to the Lord, the offering must consist of choice flour. You are to pour olive oil on it and sprinkle it with frankincense. So you would come with your grain offering that you have ground up, you've taken some time, and uh, you would give it, and the priest would take a handful and burn some, and then keep the rest. And you would season it with salt, it says in there, to be mindful of the covenant that God had given you. And then in verse three, it tells us that this offering will be considered a most holy part of the gifts given. That there was something special about this grain offering, something that set it apart. And, and you can already see it. This is the only one without animals. This is the grain one. And, and it might not seem that way to you, but think about it for a minute. The, the grain that they would have had, they were a, a nation that was out in the wilderness. And they were reliant upon God for, for manna, right? God was providing for them. They weren't a people that were out planting crops, okay? And so the grain that they would have would have been the grain that they would have taken from Egypt to plant when they reached the promised land. And so this would have been very valuable. As a matter of fact, grain would have been more valuable. There would have been more livestock than there would have been grain. And so you would bring your grain as saying this, okay, God, I trust that you are going to take care of us. God, I trust that you are going to provide for my daily bread. So you would bring the grain offering in Thanksgiving and say, okay, God, um, we just trust that every day you're gonna provide for us. So God, I will give you my best I will give you this life that I have, this food that I have in the future, and trust that you will take care of me. When the hurricane swept through New Orleans, we had some friends that were responding to that need almost immediately and going just to do what they could do. And as they were going, one morning my wife came to me and she said, I feel like God told me that we need to give $500 towards the hurricane relief. And... uh, I said, God didn't tell me that. (laughs) And we're a team, so I kind of feel like God would let me know too. And uh, she said, no, I really feel like God wants us to give. And so I didn't do anything. I just kind of waited, thinking maybe that it would go away. Didn't go away. She came back to me. I feel like God is saying we need to give this money. And so after a few days, I was finally, uh, in the kindness of my heart, I said, all right. (laughs) So we gave $500, and we were, it was tight financially, and so this was a little bit of a stretch for us. A couple weeks later, I'm on a trip with some students, and uh, I get a phone call from my wife, and she's crying, and she said, I want to read you this letter. It's from Dave, and Dave was this guy I'd met on a missions trip years ago. I didn't really have any connection with Dave, and Dave wrote in this letter, hey, I was praying, and God told me I needed to send you $500. Here it is. And so I'm like, that's great. You were right. <laughs> right? A little bit later, my wife comes to me and she says, I feel like God wants us to sponsor two compassion children. I said, well, we sponsor one. That's good. Well, we have two children, she says. We should sponsor two children. And I said, well, that's a monthly commitment. Can we do that? you think I would have learned. 
couple of days later, okay. We get a letter in the mail a few weeks later. There's been an adjustment in your mortgage interest rate in your favor, and the amount was the amount of what it takes to sponsor a child per month, right? Now, I can see a lot of wives nodding. <laughs> God doesn't always give back so immediately that way, right? But, but what I want to say is that when you give to God, when you sacrifice that way, when you give your best that way, God will provide for you. We don't have, I don't have countless stories. I have more, more times where we've given and we haven't seen anything like that. But God does work that way and he blesses that way. And so the peace, or the grain offering, excuse me, is about giving God your best and trusting that he will take care of you. The third offering is the peace offering, sometimes called the fellowship offering. And again, it's a male or female from the herd or flock that you have. Uh, no birds on this one, and you would bring it to the temple. And there's something cool about the peace offering, and it's kind of everybody got to share in this. When you brought your sacrifice, the priest would get some. And this was the only offering where you got something in return. And then some of it was burned on the altar as an aroma to God. And so kind of the point of the peace offering was, was fellowship. You would come together and uh, make this sacrifice. And then you would sit, and possibly over the course of like two days, you would sit and share this meal. I think it's the first biblical example of a potluck supper. It's like, I'll bring the bull, you bring the potato salad, it's going to be awesome. And you'd come together with this, and you would come together Thanksgiving. Okay, God, we just praise you for providing for us. And we come together to have community and communion. And that's what this one about, was about. This joy of being at peace with God and knowing that God was at peace with you. But also wrapped up in this idea of the peace offering is wholeness, because peace is, is just that. The, the root of the word peace means complete, means whole. And so imagine this kind of coming together and sacrificing and, and thanking and worshiping God and, and being in community with others. And that's one of those steps to becoming whole to becoming complete, and that's why it's even on our heart as a church that Salem would be a city at peace with God. It would be a city that comes together and worships him. It would be a, a city on the road to that wholeness. And so the peace offering would be about fellowship, and it would be about thanksgiving, and it would be about being complete in him. And those are the three voluntary ones. And just think about that, that God set this system where you could just come at any time with what was on your heart and voluntarily offer these things to strengthen that relationship, to deal with stuff that was going on, your, going on in your life. Those were the voluntary ones. There's two mandatory offerings. The first one is the sin offering. We read about it in Leviticus chapter 4. And the sin offering was just that. It was mandatory for when you sin. And it was the high priest did this and the priest did this. And sometimes you made an offering for the entire community, but mostly you came and made an offering of yourself. And again, it was, uh, depends on kind of the area and the sin, but you would take uh, one of your livestock and you would bring it. And again, you would lay hands on it. And this was, this was a serious deal. Because the understanding was that sin brought about 
death. And sin caused separation. And so you laid your hands on this animal and it was going to die in your place. And this would be one of those heavy things and I think this would be honestly, if you can look at it, this would be one of the beauties of this system honestly is because you would see the very real cost time and again to your sin. You would see the weight of your sin when you knew it would cost you one of your animals, when you knew it would cost the animal its life, when you would see the blood. You would understand that sin is a very real thing. Verse 20 in chapter four, it says, through this process, this laying on the hands, this sacrifice, the priests will purify the people, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. Making them right with the Lord. Some translations say atonement. That means to cover. If you look at the word atonement, you can see that it's the word, our word atonement is, is at one at the beginning, at one meant. And, and that means to kind of restore this relationship where sin would have broken that. And atonement is this reconciliation where God would cover the sin. And so the sin offering carried with it this idea of coming and confessing. There's no hiding. Confessing and receiving forgiveness and getting that cleansing and having that covering, that atonement. And then the fifth offering is in a lot of ways similar to the sin offering. It's the guilt offering. It just had, kind of has one more level. And in this offering, you would bring a ram. And the guilt offering was to make restitution. For a, a sin offering, if you did something where you became ceremonially unclean, or if, if you looked at something that you shouldn't have looked at, or, or done something that there's no restitution to be made, that's a sin offering. But if you have cheated somebody out of property, if you have stolen something, if you have broken or wrecked something of someone else's, you would come and you would offer the sacrifice. And it says in chapter six, on that same day that you're supposed to make restitution and you're supposed to make this sacrifice and it's paying back what it is that you've stolen or what it is that's been broken and adding 20% to it. And that, that's a big deal, right? Because that's really like a true sign of repentance. It's one thing to be like, sorry, you know, when the kids tip the milk thing over and it spills everywhere and they go, sorry, and then go back to the room. You're like, you didn't do anything. You're not sorry. It's another thing to be like, sorry, I'm gonna make up for it. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna make up for it and I'm gonna add 20% to it. And it says through this process, again, you will be forgiven. So this carried with it this atonement, this covering, this confession, this forgiveness, this cleansing, and this restitution piece. And those are the five offerings, those are the five sacrifices that, that God put into place to deal with the issue of sin and to allow these people to kind of enter into this relationship with him. But they were all pointing forward. All of these were pointing towards Jesus. Jesus replaced all of these sacrifices. Jesus uniquely met every single one of these. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 13, it says, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God 
For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Christ uniquely met each and every one of these things. It was a total sacrifice. It was the best that could be given. It was the sacrifice that allowed us to have peace with God, that allowed us to have wholeness. It was the sacrifice that covered our sins, that paid that price above and beyond. Christ, the perfect sacrifice. And so we do not have a need any longer because that's who Jesus was. That's why John said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We do not have the need any longer to do these sacrifices, but the need for relationship is as vital as ever. Laura read from Romans chapter 12 that said, we then are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And so these are the things that that we need to think through. Am I offering myself in this way? A lot of times we think of Jesus as like, you know, this sin offering and, and we get stuck there and that's how we relate to him. And we don't think of offering ourselves at all so much. But God's calling us into a relationship of total sacrifice, of giving God our best, the best that we have and trusting that he is going to take care of us, of finding our wholeness in him. I will not fill myself with other things and think that that will make me complete. And I will trust him by confessing and receiving that forgiveness and trusting that he cleanses me and I will make restitution when I can. We talked about how do we live a life with God? That's it. Because I believe these are still our altar calls today that God relentlessly extends to us his justice and mercy and grace and his desire for relational intimacy with us. These are our altar calls. Laura and the team are gonna come out and they're gonna lead us in this time of communion. And I hope that this morning we can look at it from a different perspective and we can understand the sacrifices that were made in the past and the blood that was spilled and then we can understand that Christ was the one. And as I was studying this past week, I kept thinking about, you know, I just read about the thousands of sacrifices that they would have made and just wondering how did they not just become meaningless, boring ritual? You know, just doing things again and again, we get afraid of kind of what that ritual is. But that ritual is there on purpose. That ritual is intended to change relationship. Just like a a wedding ceremony is a ritual that changes a relationship, we come to communion, something that we can do again and again and again. But we need to understand that Christ was that sacrifice who freely offered himself so that we could have a relationship with God. We need to remember the blood that was spilled and allow that to change our relationship with him.